0: It's good to be with you again this morning. Thank you for uh, the welcome. Thank you for the blessing that it's already been to share this time with you. I'm looking forward to to what God has next. Uh, I'm going to invite us to turn, because it's not going to be on the screen, to turn uh, to the Bible app on your phones, to Philippians 1, or if you're at home. Have a Bible with you or your phone to turn to Philippians 1. This is what happens when you have a guest preacher who changes what he's going to preach on and forgets to tell anyone. So uh, the words are not uh, going to be on the screen. They were prepared and ready to go, but that's not the passage we're turning to this morning. We're turning to this very first chapter of Paul's letter to the believers who lived in Philippi. In Asia Minor, this community called Philippi. And so we know it as the letter to the Philippians. Chapter 1. I'm going to be reading the first 26 verses, but I'm going to invite us first to pray together. God, thank you for this word that you give. Thank you that it is a word of joy. It is a word of hope and a word of Uh, love and a word of faith and a word of peace. Thank you that we celebrate uh, those realities throughout this season as we remember the coming of your Son. We pray, God, that um, you would speak to us today. These words are very old. They've been shaping lives and hearts for some 2,000 years. And yet, even though they're old, you take them each time we read them, each time we hear them. You breathe new life into them, and you give them to us as a gift that is new each and every time. And so this morning we receive with hands open wide, with hearts open wide, with lives open wide. Hearts in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul always begins his letter with this kind of introduction to say who he's writing to. He says, Paul and Timothy, this letter is from us, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and, and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, yeah, what shall I choose? I, I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I, I desire to, be, to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And so convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Thanks be to God. Journey home to joy, searching for joy. I know that you've been on a journey here at Hope Fellowship throughout Advent. You began a couple of weeks ago by searching for hope. And then last week you went searching for peace. And that journey continues this morning as we lit the candle of joy. And now as we go on this search together along with Christ into his Word, searching for for the gift that he has to give the gift of joy for honest though joy has been a little aloof these past couple years hasn't it the circumstances of covid have left us all a little kind of frayed at the edges it's true personally I certainly know that's been true for me in a variety of ways. It's, it's true in our families. And as I've discovered in my work with Calvin Seminary, it's true in our congregations as well. Aren't you feeling it? That, that sense of exhaustion, that sense of kind of constant uncertainty, that sense of, of low-grade conflict that's always just lingering. Just below the surface. And maybe even bubbling above the surface from time to time. No wonder we're searching for joy. But what a strange place to go looking for it. Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul wrote this letter at a time in his life when it appeared there weren't a whole lot of reasons for rejoicing. Near the top of Paul's bucket list was Rome. He had always wanted to go there and in fact that's where he was when he wrote this letter. He was right in the heart of the empire. But it wasn't quite the dream that he had always imagined. He had wanted to go there as a preacher. But in fact the reality is that he had arrived there as a prisoner of the state. He spent at least two years there in Rome under under some form of house arrest, awaiting his trial, knowing all along that if the courts declared him guilty, he would be beheaded, plain and simple. And to top it all off, according to what we read this morning, Right here in chapter 1, there were people trying to stir up even more trouble for him, as if he wasn't in enough trouble already. They were trying to stir up more trouble for him while he was um, sitting there, completely unable to do anything about it. But it wasn't even the Roman soldiers that were doing the stirring up. It wasn't even the Jewish authorities that were doing uh, the stirring up. They were the ones who had made the charges the, that had landed him there in the first place, but no, who it was this time stirring up more trouble for a man imprisoned already, were supposedly fellow believers. I mean, preachers, in fact, supposedly, preachers, but as they preached, they were lobbing, you know, additional bombshells in Paul's direction. So of all the places that we could go searching for joy, Philippians seems to be a pretty unlikely destination. But here's the thing. Oddly, despite Paul's brutal circumstances when when he took up pen, so to speak, to write this letter, Philippians turns out to be the letter in the New Testament that is now known by us, by those who study the Scriptures, it's now known as the New Testament letter of joy. Some form of that word joy, and I hope you, you picked up on it actually already this morning as we read, some form of that word joy, you know, joy or joyful or rejoice. Some form of that word appears in the letter at least, and it's not a long letter, at least 19 separate times. On average, that's almost five times a chapter. We hit that average this morning. You're not going to find another place in the entire Bible that is so focused on joy. So what's going on here? How do you write the letter of joy from death row? Well, I think the key is right in the words that we read this morning. Six words to be exact. Six words, the opening words from verse 21. For me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. How do you experience joy even in the face of hard times? You keep a single focus. That's what Paul's saying when he says, For me to live is Christ. You become single minded. That became Paul's laser sharp purpose to live. Is Christ that became his personal mission statement life was about knowing Christ for him it was about serving Christ It was about following Christ so much so that even to die was gain because that would simply place him in the presence of Christ so Christ is where Paul found his life center It's where he placed his life's focus. And as a result, Paul didn't just look at circumstances alone, the circumstances that that he found himself in, in fact, as he wrote this letter. Instead, he looked at his circumstances, he looked at his situation in relationship to Jesus. Sort of through the lens of Jesus, we might say. So, um, for instance, the way Paul thought about it, he wasn't a prisoner of Rome. He was a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, that's what he calls himself when he writes to the church at Ephesus. And in his thinking that the chains that he was in, he was in, in fact, for Christ. In verse 13 that we read, Paul said that that had become apparent even to the palace guards. They realized he's in chains, not on account of some charges that were against him, but he's in chains for Christ, on behalf of Christ. And from Paul's perspective, he wasn't wasn't facing a civil trial. That's that's not how he looked at it. No, he was defending the gospel of Jesus. That's what this was about as far as as he could see. And so his prayer, as we read this morning, was that he would approach the witness box. He He knew his trial was coming. That he would approach the witness box, not ashamed But instead, ready to see Jesus exalted in him. In other words, Paul didn't look at Christ through his circumstances. He didn't didn't look to Christ in his prayer and in his believing and his living. He didn't look to Christ through the lens of the situation he was in. Rather, He looked at the situation he was in. He looked at his circumstances through the lens of Jesus. Huge difference, isn't it? When you turn those two things around. And it was that difference that made all the difference in the world for Paul. And to the measure that we're able to do the same, it'll make all the difference for us as well. See, if you allow, if I allow circumstances to dictate your level of happiness, your level of joy, you're going to find that you're miserable much of the time. See, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. That's a promise, in fact. And so the perfect set of circumstances is never going to come around. We're always waiting. We're always looking ahead until I get here or until I get there or until I deal with that or until I get finished with this problem and get on the other side. But in this world, the perfect set of circumstances is never going to arrive. We live in a world that's broken, and being a Christian doesn't suddenly pluck us out of that world. We don't get plucked out of the brokenness. Instead of avoiding the brokenness, God instead redeems the brokenness that you and I experience. And so as a believer, I face the very same realities and the very same challenges that my neighbors face. And you do too. I can't control the circumstances that I'm called to deal with. I have have no control over the weather. No control over the amount of traffic I end up in when I'm on the highway. No control over, over the lab results from my doctor. No, no control over the things that other people choose to say about me or choose to do to me. What I do have control over and what you have control over is how we respond to those circumstances. That I have a choice in. I can decide what attitude I'll adopt toward my circumstances. That's a choice I can make. Paul discovered that that joy isn't based on our circumstances. Joy is based on the attitude we choose to adopt in our minds regarding our circumstances. And of course, his attitude grew out of this singular focus. That's how this attitude was nurtured in his life. The double-minded person or the triple-minded person, or, but certainly the double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. That's what we read in the book of James. It's, it's the person who is kind of single-mindedly set their sights on Jesus who can rise above their circumstances and find true lasting joy. That was Paul. For him to live was Christ. So how did that play out in his life? How do we we see that playing out? Well, for Paul, it allowed him to see his difficult circumstances as opportunities rather than as obstacles. In fact, in just those few verses that we read this morning, we didn't even read the entire first chapter, there are at least two examples there of how Paul saw opportunity and experienced joy in the face of difficult circumstances. So first of all, as far as Paul was concerned, his, his, um, his situation, his circumstances had become an opportunity for him to experience deep and satisfying fellowship that's that's what he talks about in verses 3 to 11 paul was in rome of course well his friends were miles away in philippi but nevertheless the spiritual friendship that he shared with them was real and satisfying i have you in my heart he told them in verse 7. Whether I'm in chains or whether I'm defending or confirming the gospel, it doesn't matter. In either case, he said, all of you share in God's grace with me. It's it's easy, isn't it, to kind of keep our our relationships at the surface level. It's it's easy to wear masks. and I'm not talking about this, this kind of mask. It's easy for us to to wear a mask. It's easy for us to talk about how the maple leafs are doing, but a whole lot harder to talk about how I'm doing. You know, how I'm really doing. But Paul discovered that if he, if he kept his focus on, on Jesus, he could experience true partnership with other believers. That's actually the word that he uses in, in verse 5, partnership. There's a depth to what he was, to this, the quality of this relationship that he shared. He was talking about something more than just sharing a coffee together, something more than just enjoying a good round of golf together. As valuable as those are for, for building relationship, Paul was talking about um, a partnership that included a love for one another. You know, a love that flowed out of this. This common love that they had together for Jesus. The fact that they were sharing this singular focus together created something deep and real between them. The fact that they had this common mission to serve Christ. And so Paul's Paul's single-minded focus on Christ allowed him to see his circumstances Rather than seeing them as an obstacle, he chose to see them as an opportunity to experience real Christian fellowship. But the other example that comes up in this, in this same chapter, um, secondly, the fact that he had placed his, his you know, faith, his, his focus on, on Christ as the center of his living, also allowed him to see his circumstances as a means to share the life-giving gospel of uh, the the life-giving message of the gospel. Verses 12 to 18, that's what he's talking about. As I, as I said earlier, Paul had always had his eyes set on Rome. Rome. Rome was the hub of the empire. And he knew that if if the gospel were to grip the heart of that city, what would happen throughout the empire could hardly be could hardly be calculated. It would the gospel would spread and grow. Well, as we know, he finally got there, but certainly not in the way that he had ever expected or hoped. But with his eyes fixed on Jesus, instead of his circumstances, Paul could find joy and maybe even some humor in the fact that he was being given the opportunity to share the gospel in Rome, despite being behind bars. What has happened to me," he writes to the Philippians, has actually served to advance the gospel. The word, the word "advance" that Paul uses there, it's actually, um, it was actually a term used in the military. And when, they, when it was used in that sense, it, may, it meant to, to gain new ground, to, grain, to gain a new foothold, sort of a strategic landing spot in foreign territory. So Paul is seeing himself as a pioneer. He's breaking new ground. He chose to see his circumstances as opening up new avenues for the gospel, not in the way he'd intended or hoped, but with this focus on Jesus, he's able to see it in a whole new way. In fact, because of his chains, he told the Philippians, some of the Roman believers have in fact been encouraged to speak up more courageously and more fearlessly than they would have otherwise for the sake of the gospel. So in the end, the gospel was preached. The good news was shared. The cause of Christ was was being advanced in the world. And for a single-minded man, he could only see that as opportunity, not obstacle. If you're searching for joy this Advent, you need to begin where Paul began. For me, For me to live is Christ. To live is is to embrace the Christ who came as a child, who who was born like me, took on my flesh, and my skin became like me for me. He was so determined to walk in my shoes, so determined to be in relationship with me, that he chose to set aside of the splendor and the honor and the majesty of heaven and to squeeze himself instead into the egg of a young peasant girl, a young virgin girl, and be born in the muck of a stable. When you grasp that, when I grasp that, or rather, when we grasp Him, when we choose a single-minded focus on Him and make Him the center, we discover that our joy is no longer at the mercy of our circumstances. In fact, when we choose to see our lives through Him, we discover that even our most difficult circumstances become little more than opportunities to grow in him opportunities to better know and love him and to serve him in a way that not only brings others greater joy but that brings us greater joy as well that's good news let's pray together Father, thank you for the gift of joy. It's a gift you give, but a gift that we need to receive, and we receive it. Oh God, we're reminded again this morning we receive it by living for Christ, by making him our our single-minded purpose and vision and center. This is a wonderful time of year to be reminded of that. Because this is the time of year that we talk about the greatest gift that was ever given. And we say those words not lightly, but knowing the depth of their truth. Help us, O God, to receive that gift and, and to make it the center of who we are. So that as we live for him, as we live with him at the center, our eyes will not simply be on our circumstances because, wow, all of us sitting here this morning have enough going on in our lives to rob us of joy if that were to be our focus. But instead, God, allow us to see in those circumstances our Lord at work. Allow us to see opportunity, the opportunity that you give To grow in Him. To love Him more deeply. To know Him more thoroughly. And to rest in the joy that He gives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.